This week we're going to move on. I also shared last week that it was a bit of a transitional point in Paul's letter. Up to that point had largely been introduction, had been sort of setting the stage, and now we're going to see in some rapid-fire action, Paul is going to address just a number of things that for him means being established in the faith. What does it look like to be established? And we're going to jump right in. He's going to not waste any time. He's not going to pull any punches. He's not going to, you know Paul doesn't do that, right? He doesn't, he doesn't uh, tiptoe around things and kind of hint at them and say, well, maybe you should consider this. He just says things. And so this week, we're going to uh, just jump right into that. We're going to read this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 reading the first eight verses. I entitled my message this morning, Sanctified. That word is going to show up, or the form of that word is going to show up uh, at least three times in the text here. Uh, the word sanctified, or sanctification, or purified, or along those lines. There's something to do with that, those words. So I'm inviting you to read along with me, and then we're going to walk through the text together. First Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Finally then, and when he says finally, I think sometimes we get confused because uh, we, Paul tends to say that and he's not really at the end of his letter yet. Um, so we, we, we take the word finally as like, I'm wrapping it up here. You know, sometimes like preachers say, well, never mind, I won't go to that joke. <laughs> the word actually doesn't necessarily mean that. It, uh, it just means he's now arriving at what he wants to really say to them. That's why there's, a, again, there's a note of transition there and he says, now I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. Pay attention to this. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, remember he's got that report back from Timothy, so you are doing it, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Thank you, Father, for your word this morning. Thank you that we are brought to your text over and over again. Thank you for the opportunity to speak from it week after week, to learn from it week after week. And we are aware, God, of how things work many times with your word. Your word is sharp. It's active. It's living. It's I like, this is what the writer of Hebrews said, it's like a two-edged sword that, that, that slices deep inside of us and is able to separate even those things that we are unaware that need to be separated. And so this morning, knowing what your word entails for us, we as a body of believers, by faith, enter into a time of allowing you to instruct us and teach us by your Holy Spirit this morning. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. We ask for you, Holy Spirit, to be in charge and to be ruling over us as we study together in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to jump in. The first uh, verse there is the first place we're going to start. I, again, have three points, uh, three uh, sort of main sections. We're going to kind of build the message around. It's really one point, so we're just going to kind of actually, instead of making three distinct points, we're going to kind of uh, dig ourselves deeper and deeper into what Paul is saying with this text, and I'm going to ask you to stick with me through to the end and ask with you further to be willing to be humble about what the Word of God has to say to us. Finally, brothers, he says, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. We ask and urge you. If you want to take notes, there's a handout on the back side of the bulletin. It has all the references, at least that I know that I'm going to share this morning and put up on the screen a few that I'm not going to put up. I'm going to put the rest of that verse up there because this is what he's wanting, he's wanting to say to us. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. I want to make a couple of quick connections before we jump in and sort of dig down deeper in this. First of all, I want you to see that back in chapter 2 when Paul was reflecting how when they came to them, remember when he, he said, we were like a mother among you, gently taking care of you. He also said we were like a father among you. And he picked up a couple of words. He said, when we were there, we gave of ourselves, we proclaimed the gospel, we gave of ourselves, we saw that gospel seed take root in you. And as a father, he used these words. He said, this is from chapter 2 verse 12 we exhorted you we encouraged you and we charged you 
Now, he's going to use one of those same words here. That was when he was present with them. He's going to use one of those same words here in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. He's saying, we ask and urge. The word urge, again, is the word parakaleho, which is what we use as the word exhortation or encouragement. He's actually used both words back in 12. He used two different words there um, in the Greek. But it, one of those is parakaleho. So he's going back and saying, our effort is still to encourage you. And I, I think it's a key point because there's times, and I hope you know this, and I hope you experience this, and, and by your words to me, I, I think you, you, this does happen, but there's, there's lots of times when we come to the Word of God and when we say things as the Word of God says, and, and, and it's a bit of an ouchie for us, right? It steps on our toes. We use that phrase, and I have some of you who, who tell me that sometimes after a message. You say, you stepped on my toes. And I'm so grateful, by the way, that many times that's followed up with a, we thank you for that. We, we, we thank you that you stepped on our toes, that you're willing to step on our toes. And I think it's important because Paul is doing some of this toe-stepping stuff in this letter. But he wants them to know that I'm doing it for your encouragement, to call you near to God. It's not for your discouragement. I'm not coming with a heavy hand and telling you that you guys are, are making a mess of things and you're generally miserably failing at, at following Jesus because you're not living it up to what you should because the bar is really high, which the bar is really high, right? We spend all, all going through the book of Ephesians to talk about how high the bar is of following Jesus Christ. And do we generally make a miserable mess and failure of things as we follow Jesus? Well, it sometimes is true, right? Take a look back at your past week. It's sometimes true, isn't it? But Paul says, I want you to know that I'm writing these things, and I want you to hear from me this morning that these things come to, as an encouragement, and he's asking, he's beseeching. You see, he charged them when he was there. He was in present. He said, I'm charging you. I'm, I'm calling you to this. But now when he's not there, he's writing back to me saying, I'm asking you to consider these things. I'm asking you uh, to, 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 to take heart what I'm about to tell to, to you, the things I've already said, the things I'm going to say to you. One other connection, by the way, he had just prayed for them the end of chapter 3, he just prayed that their love for each other would abound more and more. And he's going to use the exact same word now when he says, I want you to walk and please God more and more, that you would abound more and more. He's connecting those two together. I think we should connect those two together. He's letting us know that the theology behind what he's saying is, as you love God and love each other more and more, you will walk more correctly before God and with each other. You won't take advantage of each other. You'll, and we're going to get to some of these things as we go through. You will, you, will, you will become part of the body. And as you love God more, you will obey him more because you love him. That's actually a really key thing. I hope you're paying attention this morning. There's lots of things along the way. And the Holy Spirit, I trust in his ability to impact you with the things you need to hear. But that's a key thing, brothers and sisters. Because I think we spend a lot of time. I myself spent lots of time, even in the subject matter we're going to get to this morning. But I spent lots of time trying to fix myself. Trying to do better at controlling myself. Trying to do better at doing what's right. And it wasn't until the Lord came to me and, and reminded me that when I love him, I will obey him. When I love him, I will obey him. And so the key for me to walk more holy before God, and this is getting a little ahead, but this is where the message is going to go. You already know. You, we read the text together. The key for me to walk more holy before God is not to try harder. It's to love him more. And then I will. I just went through with our high schoolers this year. They, they've, uh, part of their Bible time in their school, the curriculum this year, was to go through the book by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. Anybody ever do Experiencing God here? Ever read the book or gone through the study? It's excellent. It's excellent. By the way, if you're a young person and you're a friend to my son Marcus, he's already told me he'd like to do a, a, a Bible study with some of his friends going through that book. So if, you have, if that fits you and you're interested in that, I don't know when we're going to do it, but I, I, I want to commit to him that we want to do it. So now I made it a public commitment, so now I'm really going to have to stand by that. But in that book, it made the point that if we have an obedience problem, we have a love problem. If we have an obedience problem, we have a love problem. I pray that the Lord would make 
You increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts. He said that at the end of chapter 3. And now he says, I'm asking and urging that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God just as you are already doing, but I want you to do it more and more. And there again, I want to come to something you have to hear. The entire, this message, to be sanctified. There's a, there's a thrust in these words that there should be a growth. There should be an increasing amount of sanctification or holiness happening in our lives. We should be growing in our faith and devotion to Jesus and to the Lord uh, and not, not decreasing in that. We should not be just be seeing ourselves flatlining or, or decreasing, but there should be a growth. It should come more and more. Now we should understand there's rarely a straight line, right? We don't start here and end up here and it's just like, shoop, there we go. Because there's all kinds of ups and downs and backs and forths and, 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 and surges forward and then sort of falling back as we, as we, as we, we have to work through things, right? So it's not a straight line, but there should be growth. We should be able to look back at our lives and say, 10 years ago, I was not as faithful to Jesus as I am today. I was not as set apart for God as I am today. I was not as, I'm not as sanctified. I, I'm more sanctified now than I was five years ago or 10 years ago as I follow Jesus Christ. Now, one other thing Paul does is he says it twice in the very first two verses. He says, I want to make sure you understand that I am asking and urging and we instructed you in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus. These are not man's words. These were, God, these were God's words, which allows him at the very end, I'm going to jump to the very end of our text, to, have, to go to the reminder as we go to the, through the next part, as we start digging down, that Paul is going to remind them. And he's telling us, listen, these things, if you're going to disregard them, you're not disregarding my words. You're disregarding God's word. If you're going to brush it aside and say, that's not for me, or I don't want to yield to that, you're not doing that to a human. You're doing that to God. It's God who gives his Holy Spirit to you, and you're disregarding him. So let's continue to walk down, because what was Paul asking and urging them? What was he crying out to them and saying, I beseech you. I want to make sure you get this. I'm urging you. Well, here it is. In verse 3, he says, this is God's will for you. So can you receive that this morning, brothers and sisters? Can you hear me say these words? And they're not my words. They're words from the Holy Scriptures. Can you receive them? This is God's will for you. What are those next two words? What does it say? Your sanctification. Maybe you should, maybe you should change that this morning as we personalize it. And you say it with me to say, it's the will of God, my sanctification, right? So what's God's will for you? My sanctification. Sanctification is the Greek word hagiosmos, which, again, if you want to know those words, you can. But it just means to be purified or to be holy, to be set apart, to be sanctified before him, to be right and pure before him, to be unblemished before him. This is God's will for you. This is not always the message we hear. This is not always the message we want to hear. This is not always the message we want to walk after in our following of Jesus Christ. But I can tell you, it's stated very plainly here. Paul wrote the words out to the Thessalonians, and he didn't just mean them back in that time, right? He wasn't just addressing one little body there. Those are words written for us this morning. This is God's will for us to be sanctified, to become holy, to grow in our holiness, that our walk with God and our pleasing God would abound more and more, that we would become more holy and more sanctified. That this is a theme of not just Paul's words here, but all of Scripture is so clear. From the very beginning when God gave his first rules and his first commandments to the people of Israel, to the very end in John's revelation when he talks about who's going to get to enter the kingdom of heaven and who won't. It talks about being sanctified. In the book of Hebrews, when the writer of Hebrews reflects on Jesus Christ, and he says, Jesus came, he was born in the flesh, and when he came, this is instruction for us, and when he came, he said, you've given me a body, a physical body, but I'm not here to do my will, I'm here to do your will, God. That's what he says, that he actually said, he attributes a quotation from the Psalms that Jesus said, I'm here to do your will, O God. And then he says this in Hebrews 10, 10, that by that will, by Jesus surrendering his will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And just a couple of verses later, one of my very favorite verses in all of scripture, Hebrews 10, 14, you've probably heard me say it a hundred times here at church because I love it. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It is God's will for you. 
He sent Jesus to die for your sake, to cover your sins, that his blood might cover your sins so that you may, have, may be perfected for all time and you are in this process of being sanctified now, that your sanctification may abound and grow more and more, that you may become more holy, more set apart, more for him. Let me read these verses, also some of my favorite verses in scripture. I have lots of them, but I love these. These are so clear. They're so direct. There's no, there's no, there's no like wiggling around them, which to be honest, sometimes I don't like because I like to wiggle around things. That's what my flesh likes to do. But this nails us down. Listen to what Paul wrote to Titus in chapter two. For the grace of God, the grace of God has appeared and it's bringing salvation for all people. We know that part so clear. But he goes on to say the grace of God has also appeared. It's training us. That's the word discipline. It's disciplining us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, right now, the age that we're in, while we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. We belong to him who are zealous for good works. So you might answer the question, this way, brothers and sisters. Why did Jesus give himself for you? According to Titus chapter 2, verse 14, he gave himself, why? To redeem us from lawlessness and purify, that's the word hagiosmus, sanctify for himself a people that belong to him. That's why Jesus died for you. He didn't die for you so you just get to enjoy heaven for eternity, although that's a very nice byproduct of that. He didn't just die for you so you can do whatever you want to. You can be set free from the wages of sin that, de- that, that come about, which is death. He didn't just die so that you can now, now live a happy, carefree life. He didn't die so you could satisfy your own desires. He died to redeem you from lawlessness and to sanctify you, to make you holy. You know, it doesn't take long for us to really understand or let these words sink in to know that the Holy Spirit is so clear to us how that, how that is lacking in our bodies so often, how our lives are filled with all kinds of stuff that doesn't honor God. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 6. He's talking about the freedom that we have. He's talking about how we've been set free from sin. He said, you know what? When you, this is really what he says. He's bold in this stuff. He says, you know, when you were slaves of sin, you could do whatever you want to. That's fine. You could do whatever you want to. And it's really true. It's really true. You can do whatever you want to. But then you'll get the end of that too. You'll get the fruit of that too, which is death. But now he says that you've been set free. I'll just put the verse up there. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, notice, not that you get to do what you want to, but you've become free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. This is what God wants. This is God's will for your life. This is God's will for you, for your body Again, jumping to the end now of our passage this morning in 1 Thessalonians, we started at verse 1 and we jumped to verse 8. Now we, jumped to, we went back to verse 3 and I'm going to jump down to verse 7 because he's just reaffirming. This is what Paul is doing. He's narrowing it in. He's, he's drilling it down. He's reaffirming that God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. He's not called you for impurity but in holiness. Church, brothers and sisters, Friends in Christ, may this become so readily known to us and come out of our mouths and perhaps even be said to one another by us as we remind each other of what God has called us to. He's not called us for impurity, but to in holiness. Now, there are doubtlessly, there are doubtlessly all kinds of places in our lives that we can have a conversation about holiness. There are all kinds of things that need to be set apart for God. Our minds, our activities, our, our habits, our money, our devotion, the places we set our hearts upon, all kinds of things. That's really what this centers on, by the way. We will set apart ourselves for God when our hearts are set on Him. I said that already about love. The opposite of that is idolatry. That's why in many cases when you... When we're going to talk about what we're just going to talk about, the, the, the end word is it's about idolatry. 
There's all kinds of areas in our lives where we can talk about holiness, but the reality is Paul went to a very specific area in the Thessalonian believers' lives, which means that we have to go to a very specific area this morning. We could talk about holiness in all kinds of ways and apply it in all kinds of ways. And again, by God's grace, by his Holy Spirit, I'm sure that when that needs to happen, it's going to happen with you this morning. But Paul is very clear, as he says in verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. He actually follows up with what he's specifically talking about. He says, I want you to abstain from sexual immorality. He takes this conversation that could be about all kinds of things, and he says, I want to take it in this morning, or for us this morning, or this morning maybe not have been for them, but I want to take it in to a very specific place of application for you. If this is God's will for you, that you should be sanctified, and increasingly so, then the area we need to talk about is in the realm of sexual immorality. I want you to abstain from sexual immorality. And he was referring now, this is a broad category. Sexual immorality, the word there, by the way, do you know what the Greek word is there? I think you'll recognize it. It's the word pornia. Pornia. So you understand some words that we get in the English language from the Greek word that's there. And it's a broad category. It's not something like adultery, which is very specific, by the way, because it refers to what happens when people are married to each other and one of them is unfaithful. Because pornia or sexual immorality, this word here, is a bigger category. By the way, adultery fits inside of it. But it's a bigger category because it's referring to any kind of sexual relation that anybody has outside of marriage. Now, that's a pretty big category, right? It's any kind of sexual relation that anybody has that they ought not to have outside of marriage. All kinds of things. And unmistakably, as I knew would happen, when we begin to have a conversation about something that's uncomfortable like this, it gets really quiet in a room. And that's okay. Because we do hard things as followers of Jesus. We recognize that sin and darkness is in us unless we allow the light to shine. Unless we allow God's Holy Spirit to do something in us, it remains there. So we don't shrink away from difficult things. We don't say, well, well that's a topic I'd rather not talk about. We say, this is God's will for me, my sanctification. God did not call me for impurity, but in holiness. We should abstain from sexual immorality. He goes on to say, I want to just bring up the next verse, which is an interesting verse. He says, he goes on to say, I want to clarify that for you. I want you to know that each of you, I'm asking and urging each of you, each of you to know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. He's setting up comparison. He's saying people who don't know God, those that you consider Gentiles, those who are away from God, they allow the passions and the lusts and the longings of their flesh to lead them to do whatever they want to. That should not be how it is with those who are growing in sanctification, who have called, been called by God not for impurity but in holiness, who have been called by God to be sanctified. Each of you should know how to control his own body. Now, if you would read commentary in this, and depending on what translation you're reading, you might get a few other phrases in there because there is some discussion about what that phrase specifically means when Paul says that each of you should know how to control his own body. He uses an interesting word. He doesn't just use the word soma, which is the, the Greek word for body, like physically, but he uses the word skuos, which is the word for a vessel or an instrument or a tool which throws people off sometimes. Actually, you know, sometimes uh, it's used in, in, a, in a vague connection to a wife because a wife is a helper to a husband. And so some translations have chosen to, say, chosen to say that each man should know how to acquire a wife in holiness and honor. Furthermore, the word for control, as in the ESV says, it, it actually is a word that means to acquire or possess in some way. And so some people have taken this and said, what he's really talking about, when he talks about, uh, he goes on in the next verse to talk about we shouldn't wrong or transgress our brothers or overreach. He's really talking about uh, some business principles. We shouldn't be greedy or overreach things. And he's maybe mixing the two together, but he's really just talking in general about how to be holy among people and, and how, to, how, to, how to not take what's not yours and, and, and how, to, uh, how to possess things. Uh, your goods, because the word skewos, again, your goods in a good way. And I would tell you, I, while I think good, sincere Bible-believing people would, could, could take those things out of there, in my opinion, this morning, I'm going to tell you that verse 3, everything else hangs on the beginning of verse 3. There's one continuous thought from verse 3 all the way down to verse 7. 
which means everything hangs on how we began that phrase, which is the will of God is our sanctification, that we abstain from sexual immorality. Now elsewhere, scripture refers to that word skewas as a vessel implement, meaning our body, that we purify. And actually along the same phrase, I think it's in Timothy. Um, I should have written this reference down. In, in every house, there are vessels of, of honorable and dishonorable use, is how, that, how those verses go. And if you want to be, want to be used for honorable use, then you, then you uh, purify yourself so that you can be a vessel, a tool that God can use. So I think it's in good context to say it's our body, that each of us knows how to possess or control our own body. I think he uses language like that because of some things we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. Because of what should be possessing or controlling our body. It's not us, by the way. It's not in us and our, it's not ourselves. But this is a conversation about sexual immorality. He says we should know how to control our body in holiness and honor. The writer of Hebrews again says the marriage bed should be held up in honor and kept free from sexual immorality, not in the passion of lust. There's all kinds of buzzwords in here that get put together in the same context of things. We talk about sexual immorality. We talk about passion. We talk about lust. We talk about transgressing or wronging your brothers. We talk about all those things. We talk about impurity down in verse 7 that I just read to you. And we realize that Paul wrote these words in Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he names some of the very same words that are in this text that we're reading this morning. We should put to death sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire. So far, all four of those words have showed up in this text this morning. And covetousness, which is idolatry. By the way, you'd be amazed if you want to do a study on this. We don't have time for it this morning. You want to do a study on this, you'd be amazed at how many times Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, Scripture puts the word covetousness together with sexual sin. That one of the primary ways we display covetousness is through the sexual sins that we commit, sexual immorality that we have. Not controlling the lust of our flesh, but in wanting things that are not ours. Pursuing things that are not ours. Fulfilling our own lusts, which we ought not to do, which is idolatry. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, Paul wrote these words. We studied this several months ago. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you. Why? Because that's not what's proper among the saints, the holy ones, hagios, those who are purified, those who are sanctified. These are not words you don't know, friends. This is not a new teaching you've never heard before, is it? Please tell me you've not, you've, you've been in church enough to know that this is what God wants from us. And yet the topic remains pertinent and vital for us. Needing our humility, our surrendering, our honesty, our transparency, our willingness to open ourselves up and say, I have sinned against God. When Paul wrote to first Corinthians, his first letter to the first let me just say that again. When Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, there's a longer section here I'm going to read for us this morning because he's talking about the same topic. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 if you want to flip there and read or you can just listen, whichever helps you the most pay attention to these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to read in verse 9 and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. So it's a little longer section, but I think it's worth us hearing this morning because you're going to hear a lot of the same things I'm already talking about and maybe some new things as well. In verse 9, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And look what list he goes to. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. Verse 12. Here now he's responding to some things they said to him. They said to him, all things are lawful for me, appealing to the freedom that we have in Christ. And he goes to say, but not all things are helpful. He says it again. They're quotation, quoting them. All things are lawful for me. But he responds with, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. This is now Paul speaking to them. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. 
Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And then he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And then he says this line we should all be familiar with. For you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Do you understand this morning, church, why sexual immorality is such a serious sin? Do you understand why the Bible speaks so strongly? Why I think Paul went right to the heart of it. And he says, I want to tell you, church, you're called to be sanctified. Your sanctification should be growing and increasingly more so. And we could go to all kinds of places to talk about that. But the first place I want to go to is the most primary, the most important place. And that is the place of sexual immorality. Why is that true? Do we understand why that's true? How would you answer that? Why is that true? According to the scripture we just read. Why is it true that that's the most important one that we should be talking about? What does God want out of our bodies? Our physical containers. What does he want? What? He wants holiness. He wants a dwelling place for his spirit, right? He wants the temple. He wants us to be joined to him. He wants us to be united with him. He wants the two to come together and become one. And the demonstration of that is actually, when we get married, when we have husband and wife come together, when we have sexual relations with people, it's actually, it's, it's not the other way around, by the way. It's that he wants that to be true, and this is a representation of it. The earthly side of it is a representation of it. And so whenever it happens outside of what God wants, how God designed it, it's a sin and affront because it's the very thing that God created, the very container that God created, you, the very shell that God created, that he designed for his spirit to dwell in and to have oneness with him, you are breaking that. You are dishonoring that. You are filling it with something else. You are joining it to something else. And that is expressly against God's desire and purpose. That's why Paul says every sin that we commit is outside the body except for the sexual ones. That is our body, sins of our body. This is really important. Do we understand that something happens when we join ourselves in that realm, when, some, when we join ourselves to someone else? Do you understand the principle that's there, that that's really what is happening? This is why we call for abstinence before marriage. That's not an old-fashioned thing that we just cling to and say, well, that's, that was the old way, but we have an enlightened ethic that tells us it's not important anymore. We say that because Scripture teaches that the design for God is that a husband and wife come together and, be, and become joined, and that's a picture of our union with Christ himself and his Holy Spirit. And anything outside of that is a deviation, is sin. Do we understand that things happen that walk us down that road that we are far too free with, that we're far too careless about. Everything, correct me if I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong afterwards. Maybe tell me if I'm wrong right now, if you, if you want to just stand up and say I'm wrong. But everything that I've read so far from our text this morning is asking us to walk in a more holy, a more sanctified, a growing area of becoming more like Christ. Not less so. Which leads us to conclude that there is a further and further stripping away as we grow in Christ of the way that the world does things, especially in regard to sexual things. This is the topic we have at hand. You know, it's one of the good things that happens when you preach through books exegetically is you can't avoid things that you don't want to talk about. God, listen church, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And there's all kinds of ways we allow that impurity to come into our, and it, I, most of you know this, right? But it's not usually going to end in the actual sexual act. It doesn't go there first. There's a whole lot of things that happen before that. There's a whole lot of places that, that, are, that are broken before that. There's a whole lot of Areas that we entertain, a whole lot of things we do, a whole lot of things we look at, a whole lot of things we think about, a whole lot of things we watch, a whole lot of things we talk about, a whole lot of ways that we dress. 
that lead in all kinds of ways. Now, it's one of those moments as a pastor where I can stand up here and I'm just going to be unapologetically an old fogey. I know where I've been in my own life. I know where some of you have been at because you've opened up your stories to me. And I know when I was younger, I don't know, these things didn't sink in as much. And I get older and I think this is really, really important. This area of giving ourselves to all kinds of other things in the sexual realm is devastating us, is killing us. We look at stuff on our phones and on our computers. We dabble in things. We listen to things. We watch things. We dress. We dress in so many ways just like the world does. And the world is not concerned about being sanctified. Listen, we have to move past the whole game of like, well, whose fault is it? I, it goes both ways. Please hear me when I say this. It goes both ways, but it, generalization is a lot easier to talk about it in this context. We've got to move past whether it's a guy's fault when he lusts and when he falls into sin that way or saying it's a girl's fault because she's dressed in a certain way. Can we just be adult and honest and sanctified enough to say it's a both-and thing, not an either-or thing? It's both of us. Men, if you're going to say it's the lady's problem because they dress in certain ways, I'm going to tell you that's not how it is. Because we just read that you should be able to control yourself in holiness and honor. But ladies, at the same way, if you're going to look at me and say, well, they could, should control themselves. I can do whatever I want. I would say that's also not true. We need to be concerned about these things. We have daughters and we have sons and we're raising them to try to be pure in the world. And that is a difficult battle because there's nothing pure in the world out there. But guys, I'm, <laughs> you know, I say things like this all the time, right? Like I'm so much less interested in talking about how impure it is out there than I am in here. Because we don't control what happens out there. And they're, they're unsanctified. They're going to act like unsanctified people because they are. We who call ourselves followers of Jesus are to grow in sanctification. And we ought to be careful how we talk and treat and what kind of situations we find ourselves in. I have conversations pretty early in my home. I had one with, with one of my sons not too long ago that he's at an age where he needs to start being careful when he's in a, he should not be in rooms alone with, with, with another girl. Am I worried about something happening? No, not right now. But it's important. It's important because someday he needs to already have ingrained in him that that's not what I do. I don't, I'm not alone with another female unless it's my wife someday. I have conversations with my daughters. <laughs> I say this with all, all kinds of, I say this with all kinds of humility, dads and moms. But dads, you should be the doorpost of what's, what's modest in your home. You should be the one who gets to look at your daughter or your sons, it applies to sons too. But you should be the one that gets to look at them and say, that's not appropriate. Daughters, listen to your fathers. Wives, let your husband make that decision. In fact, encourage. I'm blessed so much with a wife who, who does, I mean, literally does that. We go through our wardrobes and I'm not saying, we don't, you can look at my children. You go to church with them and you know we're not perfect. But literally, when we change wardrobes, my daughters get sent to me, even if I'm in the middle of a work day and I'm working, and they get sent to me, and they get asked whether this, this is going to be appropriate to wear or not. And if I say no, it doesn't go in the closet. I'm blessed by that. Thank you, Heidi. Because it's hard. But it's important, isn't it? Some of those things I said are my words. I feel a little bit like Paul sometimes. I try to distinguish. These are things that 
God's word says and you, you need to take them as that and there's things that are just my opinions. That last part, those are things that we do in our home. You, you need to be moms and dads, but I, as Paul says, I do believe I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. But I remind you and bring you back to something, whether it's in dress, I want to move past that. There's, there's, there's ways that we, there's things we look at, things we do, things we think about, ways we engage with people of the, other, of the opposite gender, things we're so free with. You know, Jesus said, if it causes you to sin, then you should throw it away. You should cut it off. That might include your phones or your, your electronic devices. I've been there a couple times where I've had to put those things away. But I tell you again, Paul brought them back to this, and I want to bring us back to this, because I want to bring us to the place of solution, not just problem. We all know the problem's there, right? But in the very last verse, when he says, if you're disregarding this, you're not disregarding the words of man, but you're disregarding God's words. Did you catch what he says at the very end of that line? He says, it's God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. His Spirit who makes you holy. This is the answer. If you're convinced of the problem this morning, this is the answer. The answer is God's Holy Spirit inside of you, becoming one with him, surrendering, letting him mortify, kill, put to death what is earthly in you, surrendering those things, laying those, renouncing them, repenting of those things, confessing them, repenting of those things, and asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit that you can walk before him in holiness. This is the path that God has this is so clear. I, I gave you a couple of references of Paul's other writings that talked about the problem. He also talks about the solution. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, he says this, we should not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, grieving means not listening. Grieving means saying no when he prompts us about what we are looking like or what we're looking at or where we're going or what we're thinking about, what we're reading, what we're watching. When he says, you shouldn't do that, when we say, I don't care, I, I, I want to do that, or it feels good, or I don't think it's that bad, or other people do it too, all of that is us just grieving the Holy Spirit and saying, I don't want to listen to you. In Galatians 5.16, he says this, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't satisfy the flesh when you walk by the Spirit. It is so blatantly obvious, friends, that almost from its inception, based on the letters of the New Testament, almost from its inception, the church of Jesus Christ has been plagued by sexual immorality. All through the ages, you can trace it through and see that there's lots of things. And it is equally true that today, for us, in our world, in, a, in us, that we remain plagued by the same things. And we can say this whether it is people who say we are free in Jesus Christ and they live all kinds of ungodly, immoral lifestyles. Or you can say it about people who say we are so holy and we are straight-laced and we keep ourselves together and they just hide all the sexual immorality that's among them. Neither of them have satisfied Paul's asking and urging them to live in a way that is growing in sanctification, becoming more holy, not called for impurity, but in holiness. And we this morning are no different. I remember years. I remember years when I heard any kind of message like this. That I was drilled to my seat because I knew that the Holy Spirit was talking to me about what's going on. And I have no doubt in a room this size, there's some of you that are like that this morning. I find it interesting in the story of the forgiving father, or we often call it the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. I find it interesting that you know the story. The son asked, the younger son asked for inheritance. He goes off and spoils it while living. Do you know what the older son says when it's all being wrapped together? Do you know what the older son says? He says he wasted his living. How? Do you know what translation you're reading? He says he, by joining himself with a harlot or with a prostitute, it actually uses the word pornai. It's the very same word that we use this morning. Which means the accusation was there that he lost everything that the father had given to him because of sexual morality. 
And I say that because this morning, that story is still true. This morning, that story is still true. That if you find yourself in that place, that the Father is waiting for you to come back to him. He's, as it were, proverbially speaking, at the end of the driveway, and his arms are open for you. When you will turn and say, I'm willing to admit that my life is in shambles, whether it's outside or inside, my life is in shambles because of sexual morality, and I want to come to the Father and tell him that I've sinned against heaven, and I want to be his servant again. I don't deserve to be a son, but I want to be his servant. And I can assure you, God is waiting, and he's going to have the same words that the Father did in that story. Bring the ring and the cloak and the sandals and kill the fatted calf. My child, my son was dead, but he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. I built into my sermon this morning just a time for a response because I felt so strongly when I was sitting at my desk preparing this week that it's something that we need. So I have a song that's probably fairly well known to you. I'm gonna play it. It's, a, it's, just, it's part of my slideshow. I'm gonna play it. I'm gonna invite you this morning that if you would like to respond in any way, the steps are open. You can walk up front. But the key is that when we've realized that we have squandered what the Father has given us, that we come and re confess that and repent of that and ask him to fill us with his spirit that we can might walk, walk right before him. I'm not sure how to do this so it's most accessible to you. It's a, I mean, I think the song's like four or five minutes, and I don't know if you're able to stand for that entire time. If you're not, you can stay seated. But if, you, if you're able, you've been sitting for a while. If you're able, would you mind standing? I think it's a lot easier to be mobile when you're already standing. And you know how this works. You know how my frame of reference is on this stuff. I'd love for you to come up front if you want to. If you want to fall on your face where you're at, you can do that. If you want to go out back and fall on your face, or you want to, I don't care what, I, it really doesn't matter to me. This is not about putting notches in a belt. This is about you being responsive to the Holy Spirit. I would also ask, especially if there's elders here this morning or elders' wives, or if, if God is just tapping you, if there's someone up here praying and you would so desire you see that, you're going to come pray with them. I think that's perfectly appropriate to you. God, thank you so much for this time. As we hear this song sung, we give it, we treat it as an invitation for you to deal with us and we want to be faithful to you. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't want to disregard what you've written to us this morning.
Lord Jesus for meeting us in our place of need this morning. Help us not to be ashamed of coming to you, but help us to see that there's life that you impart to us through your Holy Spirit when we are willing to be broken before you. Thank you for being the restorer, the redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would lead us into places of greater sanctification, greater walk with you of holiness, of rejecting the world's way of doing things. Thank you, God. God, we give you praise and glory, and we ask for you to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.